Welcome to the Super Abundant Life Podcast. I'm your host, Olawumi Brigway. I'm a transformational life coach and the creator of Super Abundant Woman, the premier personal development platform equipping and empowering women to create their best life from the inside out. In the not too distant past, I myself was trapped in an agonizing cycle of failure and shame with my mind constantly dominated by negative emotions. But my life was dramatically transformed beyond my wildest dreams when I began to live by the power and the wisdom of God's word. On the Super Abundant Life podcast, my goal is to help you disengage from limiting and faulty belief systems so that you can think differently, believe differently, and live differently. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here. This is Allow Me and welcome to episode 175. So, if you didn't know, my husband pastors a church and actually, yeah, I'm also an ordained pastor, so I am a pastor in my church. And every once in a while, every once in a blue moon, I have the privilege of preaching or teaching, I should say, in my church. So the episode that I'm going to present to you today was recorded live at one of our church services when I taught in church recently. Ah, I talked about something that honestly has been my saving grace and my lifeline, which is understanding and receiving the love of God. If you know anything about my story, you know that for many years I was stuck in this rut of self-condemnation and guilt and all that stuff. And it was just hell. I call it a hell hole. But this understanding, what I talked about today was what pulled me out of that hell hole and is still sustaining me in my walk with God today. It's very important. That is why I decided I'm going to share it on the podcast as well. So enjoy it. Enjoy it. It is obviously a sermon, so (laughs) it's a different flavor, but I know, I know that it's going to absolutely help you because I can't tell you how much this truth this revelation has been of tremendous help to me in my own life. Thank you. Enjoy the episode and I'll see you on the next one. When I mentioned to my daughter Maxine that I was preaching today, she said, ah, how did daddy convince you to do that? <laughs> because this puppy is very intimidating. I told my husband, you're one of the greatest teachers of the world that I know. I'm like, I'm a little child. I don't know anything. <laughs> so I, I honor my husband. Thank you for this opportunity to bring the word of God today. And I celebrate every single person that is here today. You're welcome in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you because you are the one that lives through me. You are the one that breathes through me. Everything I do, I draw from your strength. I thank you, Father, because your words, as they come forth out of my mouth today, will minister to each person exactly what they need and much more in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get into the word of God. Pastor started a series last week that is titled, God Who Is Love. 
And I want to continue along that line, and that is the one whom God loves. There's a huge difference between knowing you love God and knowing that God loves you. In fact, it is not possible for you to love God until you know that he loves you. The degree to which you can love God is the degree you have caught the revelation of how much God loves you. The Bible says that we love, why? Because he first loved us. So I want to speak to a certain aspect of our journey today. And it is for those times when you feel like, God, where are you? And everybody goes through this. When you feel like, yes, I know God loves me. Yes, I know, I know, I know. You know. But in that moment, you don't know. Questions begin to rise up. And rightly so. Because you're surrounded by evidence that is telling you that, does he really love you? It is the question that Satan has always asked in whatever form. Did he really tell you not to eat? That's all he was asking. Are you really the son? Didn't God just tell Jesus? And then he came and he questioned that. So I want to speak to that today. Your identity must be rooted only in the fact that God loves you. Anything else must flow out of that. Hallelujah. Let's go to our first scripture. I want to read from Luke 7. I'm going to read a portion of scripture and then I'll break down what I want to talk about today. So Luke 7 from 36. And I'm going to read all the way to 50. It's a beautiful story. One of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. And it says that then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipes them with the hair on her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, from this man, in his heart, Jesus is this man. To Jesus, he's like, ah, teacher, master. He said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, they had nothing to repay. I want you to understand that. So it wasn't like they had the money to pay and they were hiding it. If you shake them like this, nothing will come out. They really could not pay the debt. Bear that in mind. He freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged then he turned to the woman and said, and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Let's keep going. 
Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven, 49. And to those who sat at the table with him, he began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And verse 50, then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Now, this was literally a few days before Jesus went to the cross. I didn't even know that. This was literally the Holy Week. So let's see what happened in the final week leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. So day one, which was Sunday, was when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, which we call Palm Sunday. And he rode in on a donkey. Everything that is done in the Bible is done for a reason. It was prophesied. God wrote it down and then it happened. See, everything that happened from Sunday all the way to the day of resurrection was establishing Jesus as king. The first one was he rode in on a donkey on the Sunday, and the kings, this was a custom, he was announcing his authority as king. It wasn't just like, ah, I don't want hustle. No, no, no. It wasn't just, I just want a donkey. Donkeys are slow. No, but if you go to First Kings, you don't need to go there, I'll just read it to you. First Kings 1, 32 to 35, David, when he was going to make Solomon king, he told them, go and get my mule, my donkey. Get Solomon to ride into the city on my donkey, proclaiming Solomon is king. So that's exactly what Jesus was doing. So on Sunday, he showed himself and demonstrated his authority as king. What happens on Monday? On Monday, he goes into the temple and he clears it in anger. All the people that were selling, the Bible says that the zeal of my house has consumed him. So he demonstrated his zeal as king. On Tuesday, what happens? Jesus was passing by and there was a fig tree and the fig tree did not have any fruit. So he cursed it and said, no man eat fruit of you ever again. And from that moment on, the fig tree withered and it died. What was he doing? He demonstrated his power as king. Are you following me? Then on Wednesday, which is called Holy Wednesday, is when this woman anointed him. I'm going to come back to that. Carry on. He demonstrated his servanthood as king when he wrapped a towel around himself and he washed his disciples' feet. On Friday, which was the crucifixion, he demonstrates his humility as king by submitting to death, even though he could have called down angels. And then in his burial, in staying in hell and all of that, he demonstrated his absolute dependence of God. But what I want to focus on, you can see how everything begins to line up. Nothing was done as a coincidence. Did you know that we all thought, at least I thought, that this woman, out of her, the goodness of her heart, out of her gratitude, said, ah, I just know this person is really good. Let me go and anoint them. No, she was actually doing something that was appointed of God. Jesus could not go to the cross until he was anointed as king. No king can take a throne until they are anointed by God. This woman was actually doing the bidding of God. Now, the question we need to ask ourselves is, out of all the people in that place, why was it the sinner woman? There's a reason for it. There is a reason for it. So I'm going to go back to that story, and I want to break it down. What I really want to communicate today is enough of believing and trusting in your own works. We might say it all. We might say, oh, Jesus, is you alone. But when push comes to shove, you will compare yourself with the person that seems to have more and you will get discouraged. Why? Because you feel like you are not qualified because the person has more. Not understanding that it is actually your disqualification that God is looking for. Because if you were qualified, who does the glory go to? 
you. How does God then take the glory? He can't. So let's go back to that story. There are three main characters in there. We have Jesus. We have Simon, the Pharisee, and the Matthew account identified this Pharisee as Simon the leper. They actually called him Simon the leper. So that's the second character. And the third character, as we know, is the sinful woman. And of course, we have the crowd, the people that were there observing all of this. So let me read Luke 7, and in 36 says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, this man was a leper. Not currently, because according to Leviticus, you can't be a leper and be in the house. Once someone begins to show signs of leprosy, they have to be kicked out so that they don't spread it. So at some point, and scholars believe that at some point, Jesus had healed this man. So his inviting Jesus into the house was an act of gratitude. Oh, you've done this wonderful thing for me. I want to repay you. Kind of like a scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. So this guy invites Jesus into the home. You can see from his language, calling Jesus this man, judging Jesus that this one does not know Jesus. The only reason he has that quote-unquote relationship with Jesus is because God has done something big for him. And I want to break down what I call this transactional relationship, where a lot of Christians are trapped. It's transactional, like the elder brother. He didn't really know the loving nature of God. Let's talk about the elder brother a little bit. This guy owned everything, the father said. He didn't know the loving nature of God. He was living as a hired servant rather than a highly favored son whom the father loves. So what does this transactional relationship, what does it look like? The one whose confidence is in his own works rather than in the love of the father for him. First of all, Simon was a Pharisee. If you've ever studied, you don't even need to bring out Greek and Hebrew. If you know anything about Pharisees, you know that their entire lives, it is dedicated to doing things in order to try and earn. The more they do, the prouder they felt. Like, yes, we are more holy. All of their lives were basically based on the premise of, if I can just do, then by any chance, God may accept me. So Simon believes that his works were the basis of God's mercy. Because I have been faithful of my life. Kind of like when Jesus told the parable of, it says there was a Pharisee that was praying and there was a sinner that was praying. And the Pharisee was like, look at me, I've paid my tithe, I've done all these things, I've done that, I've done that. I'm not like that man. So it just gives you an idea of the way they have been schooled as Pharisees. Now, this belief... Anyone that comes to God on the basis of, God, I prayed. God, I fasted. I paid my tithe. See, see, I understand what people are saying when they say, you are a tither, how can? Hey, I understand, though. However, you see, you are starting from the wrong place. The tithe was never yours in the first place. You understand what I'm saying? You say, oh, God, I pray. What will you be doing if you're not praying? I don't understand. So it's prayer meant to be a bargaining chip. But I prayed, I fasted. Jesus, as in, that's who you are. You're just existing as who you're supposed to be. So what is this whole, but I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, God, why? I don't understand. 
you have started from the place of works. And I'll show us why that transactional relationship is why so many people are discouraged. You see, starting from the place of, this is what I've done, therefore I deserve this. That belief compels Simon to work harder and harder to earn the mercy of God, and it usually leads to burnout, frustration, and offense. Like the elder brother, I have served you all my life. You didn't even give me anything. But I've done this. If you go and check a lot of people that have walked away from the church or walked away from the Lord and are offended, a lot of times they will tell you, but I served, but I did this. God did not come through for me. That's why. They believe that their service was the key to the mercies of God, not knowing that that actual belief was shutting the door to the mercy, because mercy cannot be earned. The Bible says in Romans that if somebody works and they are paid their wages, that's not mercy, it's your right. So if you are demanding your rights based on your works, God can't answer. You can only come based on his mercy, on the blood of Jesus that was crucified and is risen. So that's the first thing. You see people wanting to do more and do more and do more and do more to receive mercy. If it's not coming, because that is not the way you access mercy, they feel compelled to keep doing more. They keep doing more. The reason they're doing is to get. Meanwhile, like the elder brother, the father was saying, he's already yours. He's already yours. Just listen, just ask. Because you are, if you've never lifted a one hole in your life, as my older son, and you say, I want that fatted calf, I would have given it to you. You come because you're a son. You don't come because you have worked. The second thing is this, and this is very common amongst us. What underpinned Simon the Pharisee's affection for Jesus was gratitude. It was gratitude for what Jesus had done. But then, listen to this, gratitude fizzles out. Has someone ever done something huge for you? Oh my God, I'm just so thankful. Thank you so much. Give it two days. You will even remember that somebody, do you understand? Gratitude is, it doesn't last though. That's why, in fact, God commands them, build an altar. Continue to repeat it. Continue to, because it does not last. The husband yesterday brought you flowers. And, oh, God, and then he annoys you, lifts his socks on the floor the next minute. You're like, how can you be behaving like this? Where was the gratitude that you were showing before? It fizzles out. Gratitude cannot be the basis upon which you can build a relationship. Gratitude transforms very quickly into doubt and complaining until the next time something is received. So a transactional relationship would only demonstrate affection for God when God does something. If things appear to be looking bad, the question becomes, God, why? God, where are you? Where was you before? Is it, is, were you not the one singing and dancing and rolling on the floor? I say, God is just so good. God, is, what happened? Did he change? No, no. We say yesterday, today, and forever. We quote these things. Do you believe it? Did he vacate his throne? Next. <laughs> Once Jesus did something that disappointed Simon the Pharisee, he turned his back. So when the sinner woman came, and he was expecting Jesus to be like, who is this one? Get out. And Jesus was like, ah, ah, my daughter, my daughter. He said, ah, what's going on here? He said, this man. 
This man is not a prophet if he were a prophet. He was very quick to turn his back. You see, God promotes somebody that you feel does not deserve it. And you're like, God, look at me. <laughs> One of the ones that I hear that I honestly cannot wrap my head around is, I've heard people, because of the nature of my work, I've heard people say things like, when we were in school, I was so, so holy. I never slept with anybody. I never did anything. And now we've been waiting for a long time. What's happening? I don't understand. Like all those people that had abortions, that had this one, now before they do PIM, they are pregnant. <laughs> I say, eh? <laughs> I'm like, eh? So you mean God has a rota, a register, that he's counting? The elder brother became offended because God showed mercy. That's a transactional relationship. Not understanding that the reason why you are standing here is also because of the same mercy. It's not different. It's not a different stream. Mercy is mercy. So Simon the Pharisee, the moment Jesus did something that he did not agree with, he started to speak against him. And finally, his giving, his sacrificial giving to the Lord, meaning anything that did not directly benefit him, was low. How do I know? Jesus said, when I came into your house, you didn't kiss me, you didn't anoint my... That's the minimum you do for an honored guest in Jewish tradition. If you bring a guest into your house, the minimum, you would wash their feet, you would anoint their head, you would do all those things. Jesus came and just said, hey, yeah, sit there, and, you know, serve him. Sacrifice. Compare that to the woman who had nothing to gain, but she brought what was dearest. So one way you begin to check, have I slipped into a transactional relationship with God is, what is the level of my sacrifice? When they call prayer meeting and they're saying, let us pray for the nation, and nobody turns up. You say, how does that concern We have bills to pay. It's like, they say, what's my own? You say, let's pray for souls. They are, you know, Jesus is Message, you know, show you the best where they are. So it's coming, so it's coming. But when they say, come and pray for that job, people will be groaning on the floor. <laughs> we have to check, oh. We really have to check. And what I want to do is to remind us of the basis of our relationship with God. It's not any of this stuff. It is because he first loved us. So let's shift over to who they called the sinful woman. So we know that this woman came in. I want to... Imagine, I want to walk you through her journey a little bit. This woman known as a sinful woman. In fact, we have no record that she had personally encountered Jesus before now. It was after that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. So she shows up with her most precious possession. And she stood at the door, full of men. I want you to put that into context. Imagine how scary that must have been. It was full of men, people that were judging her. She had no right. First of all, she was a woman. And number two, she was identified as a sinner. But she stood there. And I, when I meditate on the scripture, I can see when she first looked. It's like Peter looking at the waves. She wants to run back. But then she'll fix her gaze upon Jesus. She locked eyes with Jesus at the end of the room. And she never took her eyes off Jesus. Because if she had, she would have run out. This woman fixed her eyes on Jesus. And I can see Jesus just encouraging her, keep coming. Ignore everything else. Don't mind them. Don't listen to them. 
I know they think you're not qualified. That's okay. Keep coming. And she walked until she got to Jesus. Now, I want to run through very quickly. What does a relationship that puts confidence in God's love for me, what does that look like? The first one is we know that this woman was a sinner. She was identified as a sinner. She had no works to justify herself. So she had to throw herself completely at Jesus' mercy. Now, what that means is when you wake up every single day, the voice might come and say, ah, you're not praying as you should. And that thought makes you not want to pray. Why? Because you feel like I have let God down. But here's what we're saying. You are a son anyway. Before you ever did anything good, he chose you. Do you understand what that means? It means that your very existence is enough reason for you to open your mouth and begin to give God thanks. Not because, oh, I've been on point, I've been doing everything. No, no, it has nothing to do with that. This woman understood that, listen, I'm a sinner, according to people, I'm not supposed to be here, but I know that he loves me. And I have a purpose to fulfill in this place. That is why I'm going to move forward. When you understand that God loves you because you are you, not because you do anything, what does it make you want to do? You want to love more. Compare that with gratitude. It has nothing to do with whether God has done something or hasn't done anything. You know that it is based on who you are. So it is constant. Even when it takes a hit, you remind yourself that God personally loves me. The second thing is this. What underpinned her attention for Jesus was gratitude because he loved and accepted her first for who she was as opposed to for what she had done. The third thing is she didn't take offense when Jesus did something that felt disappointing. Walking through the entire length of that room, Jesus didn't intervene. And they were very vocal, those guys. Some of them would have been shaking their fists. Jesus didn't jump in. She could have said, uh -uh, say something now. Why are you just sitting there looking at me? Jesus didn't say anything until the end. She could have taken offense. And she was sacrificial in her giving to the Lord. There's no link between her expensive gift and the forgiveness she then received when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. She gave because of love. So why is all this important? This is really where I'm going. Why must you engage in life as one who is highly favored by God rather than someone who puts confidence in what they are doing? In other words, favored son versus hired servant. You know who the hired servant is? If you hire someone, most, I mean, some of us here own businesses, some of us work in employment. You go to work, you get paid the salary, right? What you put in is what you get out. They give you a job description and they say, based on this job description, this is what we think. And you agree. If you take the job, you're like, yes, me too, I agree. This is what I should be getting. And then they pay you. That is what the highest have, meaning until I do this, I can't get this. You can't relate like that with God. That is what the elder brother was doing. That's why he was completely shut out of the inheritance. So why is it important for you to wake up every morning and just say, ah, Father, I'm just so thankful because you love me. 
For that to become your identity, there are two reasons that I want to walk you through. The first one is Galatians 5.6. Galatians 5.6 says, faith works by what? By love. That love is not, oh, I'm doing stuff. I'm loving God. I'm serving God. No. Your faith will only work to the degree that you know God loves you. Because faith is confidence. I mean, yeah, if you say now faith is, we do faith is basically you have confidence in somebody. If you have faith in something, you have confidence in the thing. If you say I have faith in God, you have confidence in God. And confidence is directly proportional to how much you know that somebody loves you. Faith cannot work if you don't truly understand that God loves Otherwise, it will work in spurts. When you see things happening that are favorable, you believe, yeah, he's working, God is doing what. If he's not working, you'll be like, ah, are you sure? Are you sure? It's because you, you haven't yet allowed yourself to receive the revelation of the love of God. That's the most important thing. That was Paul's greatest prayer. The revelation of the love of God. If you don't genuinely believe God loves you, you will doubt his word when opposition comes. I want to, let's go to John 6. If you have it in Passion Translation, I want to share something. John 6 from 16 to 21. It says, after waiting until evening for Jesus to return, the disciples went down to the lake. But as darkness fell, he still hadn't returned. So he had told them to go. But they were like, eh, let's wait for him now, you know. He still didn't come. So let's better obey this instruction. Jesus was the one that told them to go and cross to the other side. He gave them the word. Don't forget that. He gave them the word. But as darkness fell, he still hadn't returned. So the disciples got into a boat and headed across the lake to Capernaum. By now, a strong wind began to blow and was stirring up the waters. The disciples had rowed about halfway across the lake when all of a sudden, they caught sight of Jesus walking on top of the waves, coming towards them. It says the disciples panicked. But Jesus called, let's leave it there. Jesus called out to them and he said, don't be afraid. Why? You know who I am. You know my nature. I can't have sent you to the other side to now let you drown in this water. Why are you afraid? You know me. I just, I, listen, you were there. I just fed people, 5,000 men. You know who I am. Why are you panicking? There's no reason to panic. So he had given them the instruction. The waves, everything was turning upside down. Satan would have been whispering. See, that did God say. It's not really did God say. The real question he's asking is, does God love you? It's just hiding it. Because you say, God love you. You say, yes, God loves me. You answer back like that. But what he's really asking is, this, this one that you say you're following, does he really love you? All those dreams he put in your heart, are you sure that you will not end up disappointed and ashamed? That's the question. But Jesus said, you know who I am. Let's keep going. Next verse. They were relieved to take him in. Now, that's significant because Jesus will not force anything upon us. To receive the mercy, you have to believe in who he is. Paul said the way you receive salvation 
is the way you are going to walk in him. It's the same way. How did you receive salvation? You believed and you confessed him as Lord. It's the same way you are going to get a job. It's by inviting him in. But if offense takes the place during the times of tribulation, you will not invite Jesus into the boat. He says they were relieved to invite him, to bring him in. And listen to this, the moment Jesus stepped into the boat, they were instantly transported to the other side. See, can I be honest with you? God would test your understanding of his love for you. You see all those hard places that you're going through? He's really showing you the depth of what you think is love for you, what you think you know about God's love. He's showing you the state of your own heart because God knows. He's showing you so that he can refine, so that he can refine. He's demonstrating to you what you really believe. That is what's happening. So that you can make the adjustment and the correction. Why didn't Jesus come earlier? Because sometimes we think that because we're children of God, we're exempt from challenges. Jesus went to the cross. He was even trying to use his relationship to try and like influence God. Like, Are you, do I really have to go? Ah, uh-uh, it's me now. Because you have to go. Why? <laughs> so first of all is, faith cannot really work until you understand that the reason why God put that desire in your heart in the first place, you know that the desire is from God, right? He's the one that puts it there. You are you that you think you wake up one day and say, ah, I'm going to be the CEO of a multinational. Wait, God put the desire there. He started the process. He started the process because he loves you. He wants to showcase you. He put it there. And he does not allow it go. Even if you want to go away from it, he keeps pulling you back. Have you not noticed? He keeps pulling you back. Why? Because it's a desire that God himself put in your heart. How many parents here? I rarely reference parenting when I'm talking about God's love because it's not the same one. You cannot understand God's love by experience. Someone say, oh, the way my father loves me just shows me how. Now, lie, it's not, it's not even close. It's by revelation. But let's say your child comes first. And we're like, a lot of us are Nigerians, Africans. It's like, wow, you know, you want to talk about the child. You want to go, wow, she cleared all this, whatever, you know, she, she came first. You want to showcase. You are proud of that child. Do you think God does not want to do the same? You know, think about it. How will people understand the love of God if he does not use his own to showcase his love? So that's why it cannot be by works. Because if you have laid claim to that thing that you got, God is not in the equation. If you could have gotten it, if people, in fact, let me not jump ahead of myself. I'm watching time. So that's the first one. The faith will be stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. If it's not rooted in Father, listen, God loves me. When those things, when the waves come crashing, and you're like, ah, but God said, you have to go back and remind yourself that God loves me. He's a loving Father and He's a good person. He's good. 
Meaning he's in control, he's in charge. There's no reason for you to fret. If it looks like it's taking longer, there's a reason for it. There is a reason. You may not understand the reason, but there is always a reason. And that reason is never because you've not done enough. Now, the second thing I already alluded to that is God's glory depends on it. I want you to think about the fact that for the most important job in history at that point, Jesus being anointed as king before he went to the cross, he chose a woman that was a sinner. There were other candidates there. There was a Pharisee, probably a respectable Pharisee, but he chose someone that was so disqualified, she didn't even deserve, she didn't deserve a seat at the table. She didn't even deserve to put her foot in the door. She didn't deserve to be in the room, talk less of seat at the table. Why did God do that? He needed someone whose confidence was not in their own works, but in the mercy of God. Why? So that he could showcase his glory through her. This is one of the most beautiful aspects of the love of God. That God will put a dream in your heart and say, oh yeah, you've come into this country as an immigrant. And he'll be showing you pictures of you doing this and you doing that. He'll be showing a woman that has been told that you can never have children. Keep showing her pictures of having twins and triplets and all those kind of things. And like, God, why? Why is he doing that? Why does God use the things that are abased? The Bible clearly says it is to display his own wisdom. Let's go to that scripture. Because if you don't understand this, and you're starting off on a journey, and you're looking around you like that sinful woman, and you're so far behind compared to where God is taking you. If you don't understand that this is one of the greatest favors that God can do for you, He's doing you a favor because the farther you are pulled back, the further you are going to launch. Do you, like, a, like an arrow and a bow. You're like, oh God, it's just getting worse. It's just getting worse. By the time he launches you, listen, this is your privilege as a child of God. This is what mercy means. This is what mercy means. Go and check all the people that have a voice today. They say they have a global voice. There's a story behind that global voice. Something happened. They were the worst. They were this. All the, if we say, okay, we're talking about Bible ministers. All the people that had global ministry, the Hagings. And, where did that healing ministry come from? On the bed of sickness. Did God call and say, oh, have this, can somebody come and stand here and say, I've always been healthy. I've never been sick a day in my life. And I want to minister healing to you. You'll be like, oh, God, please, I can't relate with you. I can't, your four, you are going to come and tell me is diet and exercise. People diet and exercise, they still fall down and die. So there has to be something more. If you're coming to tell me that it's because of your education, that you secured this job, okay, I have to go to the school you went to. I have to have the exact experiences that you had to get what you got. Well, if that's impossible, I can't relate. Step aside. But if you're telling me that I did my best with what I knew, but it was still not enough, but mercy stepped in and closed the gaps 
I can relate to that. I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Let's look at this. From verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. If we can get in the TPT. 26 to 29. It says, brothers and sisters, consider who you were when God called you to salvation. Not many of you were wise scholars by human standards. These were the pillars of the church. We forget these things. Not many of you were in positions of power. Not many of you were considered the elite when you answered God's call. But God chose those whom the world considers foolish to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the puny and powerless to shame the high and mighty. He chose the lowly, the laughable in, in the world's eyes. Nobodies. Why? So he would shame the somebodies. For he chose what is regarded as insignificant in order to supersede what is regarded as prominent. So that what? There would be no place for prideful boasting in God's presence. Should I read through a list for you very quickly? David, shepherd boy. In fact, his brother said, Oga, what are you doing here? Where are those few sheep? Should I keep going? Joseph, a slave and a convicted criminal. God did not make the whole world bow to him when he was in his father's house like this. We showed her like this. He said, where's my coat? Come and see my coat. And we said, this one's already... <laughs> If I do it now, it's because he's talented and, you know, he's favored by his father. <laughs> Ruth, a Moabite. Have you ever read about how God hated Moabites? How can Jesus come through Moabites? How can Ruth be great-grandmother of David? How is that possible? <laughs> Rahab. Should I even need to say that one? Moses the lowest point of his life. God didn't call Moses at the height of his back. In fact, he tried to enter by himself. God said, no, I know fit. They'll say it's because you were raised in Egypt and you had all these things and you pulled you know, the influence of Egypt. You were able to whisper to your brother in the, in the king's office. No, 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 no. The lowest point of his life. Daniel and the Hebrew boys, they were slaves. In fact, we say immigrant, but they were not immigrant too. They were slaves taken there by force. The same way economic situation forced some people to say, ah, we're checking out and we're coming into this place. Are you beginning to... What I'm trying to say is that the thing you feel disqualifies you in the eyes of men. You're right. It does disqualify you in the eyes of men. But in the eyes of God who loves you, it is the very reason you are qualified. Because he wants to display his mercy. He wants to display his mercy through you. See, those dreams, you are not the one dreaming them up. You are not the one concocting those things. It is God that is putting them inside you. The apostles, they were unlearned men. Paul, the harshest persecutor of the church. Jesus, humble beginnings, died a criminal's death. The Samaritan woman, five husbands, Plus another living lover. Samson. In fact, you know, I remember back at university, one of my pastors at the time, he put on this stage play, and it was about the story of Samson. 
And when he was casting people, people would say, ah, he has to be somebody. He said, no, he went and looked for the slightest, the smallest person. Because if something was bulky, they wouldn't be asking, where is the source of your strength? It was a small somebody, like, <laughs> so what am I saying? If like Samson, people are not yet asking, what is the source of your success? You have not yet entered into sonship. If you got to that position in your career, and when you, I know when people ask us, we can be a bit shy, we can say, well, I did you know, this principle and that principle, but if you are not lying down in private on your face, say, God, me, eh, me. Like Pastor was saying, <laughs> they asked him a question at the interview, he said, let me ask my own question. And he answered his own question. I mean, if you are not lying down on your face, if you truly believe it's because you have not entered into what God truly wants to use your life for. The Bible says that, let's go to that scripture. I believe it's Isaiah 60, verse 61 in KJV. It says, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them what beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You see, can you leave it up there so that people can see it? See, this is where we get tricked. Who does God give beauty? You see, the beautiful person. See, if there's anything me, personally, I have embraced in my life with every fiber of my being, is that it is my ashes that qualify me for God's beauty. Whenever God puts a dream in my heart, and I judge the situation, and I look like, ah, I'm foul. At first, I might be like, ah, I'm foul. Then I remember that, ah, I'm foul. Praise God. It means that when I arrive, I will be a wonder. I will be a wonder. People will want to dissect my situation and say, how did you get here? I have catalogs of those kind of things in my life that I have recorded, that I visit often, and so do you. You must visit those things often to remind yourself that there is a God and he loves you and he has recruited you into his army to showcase his mercy, beauty for ashes. In Isaiah 60 says, for your shame, he will give you double honor. When I think about the fact that me, that I'm standing here before you, when I look back over my life, I'm like, really? This God is good, though. I can't lay claim to a single good thing in my life because I messed up so many times, so many times. People don't say these things. God will do something good. You will mess it up. He will come, clean everything up. And say, so I'll be going again. So look at you, look at you. It's, who do we take God for? Who do we take him for? Like he's just some wicked taskmaster that all he wants from you is to take. No, God wants to give. He gave first. He keeps giving and keeps giving. We'll fall down, he'll pick you up again and say, oh, yeah, I'll be going. Let's continue. Peter denied Jesus. How can Peter deny Jesus? But when he rose, what was said? He said, go and tell my disciples and Peter. He specifically called Peter's name. He said, go and tell Peter that I have risen. That's who he is. That's how much he loves you. I mean, I, 
So I'm like, and I want to relate this to career because we separate things like that. You feel like I have to work, work, work. You know, to get to that place. No. Am I saying don't be diligent? I don't think there's anybody that's more diligent than me. That's not what I'm saying. I think back to, for example, when I'm telling you the mercy of God, before I knew to be good, when I went to secondary school, I went to boarding school. <laughs> and you know those children that they cried for money tonight? is me. Like boarding school, first year. I think I must have cried for the whole year. I had never left home. I'd never slept outside of my house for one night before I went to boarding school. In fact, they tried to do sleepover. He said, go and sleep with my closest cousins. Go and spend the night. My father had to drive down at 1 a.m. to pick me up because I kept crying. I want to go. I was... Now imagine what boarding school was like. So I, did I fail? I failed. Well, I failed because I just couldn't focus to read, to do anything. My first three years of secondary school were just crazy. Now, do you know one, one thing that is etched in my mind, though? GSS 3, I remember I got born again. Did GSS, I did my best with what I had. I was probably mid-table, mostly C's, something like that. And then remember then, you sign up for either science or humanities, and it was purely based on your results. So that they'll be giving them choices. You pick. You can't pick. What did you get? C, ah, art class. <laughs> so we all lined up. First day of SS1, senior secondary, lined up. I remember Mr. Olatunde was sitting there in front of the library. This is etched in my mind. These are things you must remember. Lined up. He got to my turn and he said, hey, Sarami, what did you get? And he just said, ah, C, 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 ah, A, C, 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 ah. It says one D or something like that. So there are four arms, A, B, A, and science classes, C and D are the art humanities classes. A is the top science class where you do further maths. I said, D, I said, ah, D, but I hate art, I hate it. As in, I really did. I could not stand, as in, lit oh, I, it was not my thing. Maths is my thing. But because I wasn't settled, he said, no, 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 no. I said, sir, please, I was begging. I said, please, sir, please, sir, please, sir. He said, get out of the... <laughs> Leave the line and be so I was, like, oh my God. I was weeping because I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I should go and be doing, uh, I, you know, what are the humanities? I was like, I want to chemistry, I want to physics, I want to. Ah, before I was like, my God, what am I going to do? I'd barely taken 10 steps. I just heard my classmates shouting my name. Hello, me, hello, me. Mr. Alatin is calling you. So I ran back and he said, Sarami, come here, come here, come here. And well, what did you say you got again? Do you know what? Okay, I will put in SS1A. This is what I'm trying to say. Now, I went on to excel. I got one of the best subjects in that set, in, the, in SSE. Here's what I'm saying. I could not have helped myself. I will never forget that story. And I have a catalog of them. Where the mercy of God steps in. He didn't save me so that I would waste the grace. Paul said, the grace enables me to labor, to achieve what he has put in your heart. I went on to study electrical engineering, went on to teach math. If I had not been placed in that class, there's a plan. And where you fall short, don't take that as proof that you are not called. No. 
He will make up the gap if you trust in his mercy. If God has shown you a picture and said you are going to have children and medical science says you can't, it's okay. He will make up the gap. Why? Because he gave you the picture. You cannot fulfill the purpose of God. It's not possible. No matter who you are, no matter how intelligent you are, no matter how networked you are, it's impossible. At some point, the mercy of God will have to step in. Why? Because he must take the glory. He has to take the glory. That's why even if you look at your life and you feel like, ah, you know, I just got this promotion, have arrived, God will put something else that will make you feel disqualified again. He has to do that because you can't arrive. He will keep putting stuff inside you that are beyond you so that you will realize that, ah, he's my God and he loves me and he's walking this journey with me. This is how God operates. This is the most beautiful aspect of the love of God. You are disqualifying yourself because people say you are disqualified. Yes, you are supposed to be disqualified. Then when God sits you at that table, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he now begins to display. They'll be like, where did these people come from? How could it be this person that looks like this, that talks like this, that is giving us the best ideas? That is what God really wants to do. So when you find yourself in those places, don't go and complain. Don't go and cry. Don't go and moan. Don't go and curse God. Say, I can never curse God. Now lie. People are cursing God in their hearts. And say, God, why? But I have served you. Is that not what cursing God is? That is what it means to curse God. I'm going to read a list to you to finish off. What does it mean? What does a son, who is a person that believes that God loves him, what does a son look like? Number one, a son does not complain or curse God when things appear bad. Why? He understands like an, like an arrow being pulled back, his final destination is simply being extended. This is the mentality of a son that is loved, that knows that God loves me. Number two, a son rejoices when he's disqualified by men because the greater the shame, the greater the honor God has reserved for that situation. Number three, a son understands that the season of hardships what it feels like Jesus' waves are battering us. Where are you? Listen, those are actually the training ground for humility and character refinement. The Bible says in Hebrews that who the son loves, he disciplines. He's refining you. He's showing you the nature of your heart so that you can be purged. It's not because he hates you. If he hates you, he will leave you to be as you are. And you will not enter into purpose. And finally, a son does not ever question the father's love and acceptance of him regardless of his actions because he never deserved the sonship in the first place. He was chosen before he was good. Praise the Lord.